I'm Monica Olson. And I'm Jennifer Walsh. And you're listening to the Biophilic Solutions Podcast, where every other week we sit down with experts and thought leaders across industries in order to explore the innate connection between humans and nature and why we need nature to thrive. We truly believe that in order to tackle the global environmental problems we're facing, we as humans must reconnect to the natural world and come to a better understanding of how we fit in and how we are so interconnected. So in every episode, we'll interview new guests that help us uncover and highlight nature-based solutions to get us on a path to greater health, tackling climate change, and ultimately getting outside and connecting with nature. So let's get to today's episode. Hey, Monica. Hey, Jennifer. All right. So one of our most popular episodes this season was the one we did with Lee and Justin, the authors of Golden, The Power of Silence in a World of Noise. I think our modern world is so frenetic and fast that sometimes people need to slow down, take a beat and disconnect for a bit. We have to be reminded of that sometimes. So I think that episode really resonated with people. It sure did. And today's episode is a bit of a continuation on that theme, which I'm excited about. Today, we're talking about the importance of preserving the world's remaining quiet places, specifically places that are relatively untouched by man-made noise pollution. And it may or may not be a shock to you to know that this is becoming a very rare phenomenon. Absolutely. So our guest today is Matt Mickelson, a sound recordist, audio engineer, and documentary filmmaker who also serves as the executive director of Wilderness Quiet Parks at Quiet Parks International. It's a nonprofit organization whose mission is to save quiet for the benefit of all life, which is a very biophilic message, if I do say so myself. It really is. And Quiet Parks International is a super cool organization that actually works with governments at all levels to conserve those quiet places and also offer certifications and awards for those places all over the world. I really like chatting with Matt about his love of nature and the importance of just listening and being. So in this conversation, we also reiterate the health benefits of quiet and we talk about the ways that man-made noise impacts wildlife ecosystems. This was such an impactful conversation about the emotional, physical, and planetary importance of preserving these quiet, natural places. So let's get to our conversation with Matt Mickelson. Matt, welcome to Biophilic Solutions. I'm so glad you could join us this morning. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we're excited to dive into this conversation. It's one of my favorite topics. Why don't you dive in a little bit and tell us a little about yourself and what got you interested in sound recording and documentary filmmaking? And of course, quiet places. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll try to be brief if I can. <laughs> That's okay. My closet is opening behind me, if you can see. Uh, oh, something yeah. fell. <laughs> so that looks good. Apparently, I'm not organized and things are falling out of my closet. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I first became interested in sound and studying sound because I wanted to be a musician. And that was my goal all through, you know, growing up and through my teenage years was to yeah, be a rock star, a drummer in a rock band. Oddly enough, I realized pretty early on that I probably didn't have the chops to make that happen. So I started studying the engineering side of sound and running live sound and things like that. And that was the kind of career path that I chose to pursue when I went to Ithaca College in upstate New York was sound design for film and television. And I really loved studying 
sound and sound recording and the technology and the art of sound recording. But I was lucky enough to grow up in a really beautiful part of New Jersey. I say I'm from rural New Jersey, if you believe in such a thing. Um, it does <laughs> I do. exist. <laughs> I do. And it's beautiful. <laughs> it is. It's beautiful. And so I grew up like on a property with a bunch of woods and trails and state parks nearby. And my parents really love the outdoors. So I grew up like backpacking and whitewater kayaking and going camping. And I always really loved spending time outside. So it was like pretty early on in my career at Ithaca College, I realized I wanted to figure out a way to take this like love of sound and music and this need and really apparent need to protect the environment and work on climate change and all these other things and, and try and figure out a way to merge those two loves. And that's when I heard about Gordon Hempton and his work in preserving soundscapes. And I reached out to Gordon when I was 18. I sent him an email. Wow. And I said, hey, like what you do sounds really cool. <laughs> um, I love I, that you did that. I love yeah, it. I still have the email. Like I have it printed out because oh, it's, it's like fantastic. a really... It's very innocent, and, and I can't believe he responded to me and then agreed to kind of mentor me. And as soon as I met Gordon that summer, I took a road trip out to Washington State to study with him for a week. And that's when I knew that not only recording the sounds of nature was something that really clicked inside of me and felt really good, but also the implications for working on soundscape preservation was something that I really, really fell in love with. And now, 10 years later or so, here I am still working to preserve natural soundscapes. The nuts and bolts of my jobs is I'm a sound designer. So I work on films and television. I sell sounds to like video games and movie production companies. Like all the sound that you hear in media is usually added in afterwards. So when you hear nice chirping birds or wind through trees, people like me are going out and recording those sounds. And then the other part of my work is, yeah, this really important heartfelt work of working to recognize and preserve and document what we kind of call the last remaining quiet places, places that are free from noise pollution, which don't really exist in the world anymore. And that is incredible. And I mean, Quiet Parks International, their mission, which I love, is to save quiet for the benefit of all life. To talk a little bit about that, because I think for many of us and our listeners, we don't really think about quiet that much. Maybe if we're doing meditation or nobody's in my house right now, the children are all at school, that's kind of a really nice moment. But we don't think about what that means in our day to day. So, so talk a little bit about a world with and without quiet. Yes, absolutely. Quiet is a really interesting word, and it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, and that's good. There's quiet in here. There's quiet in your chest and in your brain. That's really important. And then there's also external quiet. When I talk about quiet places, I'm not talking about silence. Like the Amazon jungle is a quiet place because it doesn't experience noise pollution in some parts of the Amazon jungle. However, it's not quiet. It's really loud and full of life. So Quiet Parks International and specifically my program, Wilderness Quiet Parks, really seeks to find places in nature that experience long intervals of noise pollution free time. And our firm belief is that when we connect people with quiet externally and they get to experience what nature sounds like without man-made noise or less man-made noise, it's easier to bring that quiet into your heart and your mind, which is so crucial. And we all know from spending time in nature that like, that's the feeling you get, you get quieted. And so there's very ecological and conservation-based reasons why I do what I do. And quiet and soundscapes are important to preserve for animals and birds and all these things. But also there's a really, for lack of a better word, a spiritual side of it that helps us humans connect to ourselves and to our place and to everything around us. 
So we have a few different program areas at Quiet Parks International. Like I said, I do wilderness quiet parks. We have an urban quiet parks program that seeks to find urban areas and urban parks that experience less noise pollution where the sounds of nature are predominant. We have a quiet trails program. We're developing quiet residences and communities, all sorts of different program areas here to just help people find quiet because we need quiet. We all really, really need quiet and it shouldn't be hard to find, but it is. I think that's interesting too, because when you think about quiet, people are always like, oh, I, I don't I don't have time to be quiet or I don't have time to, but I'm sure when you teach this or discuss what your work is, they must be like, oh, wow, it makes sense. But it's just a discovery that you're teaching people to witness the quiet and to be still in it and be okay with it because we're so frenetic in our busy lives that we often forget how powerful that quiet is. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think what's really surprising about this work and what's been a constant in my whole career is that the people who ask, why is it important to save quiet, who genuinely ask that, have never experienced it. People who have experienced it and know what quiet feels like automatically know it becomes self-evident that this is something that we need as humans and yeah, and also animals and all species need. Well, and I think one of the things that we found is trying to explain to somebody why numbers are always good. Like whether we want to or not, we tend to need to quantify as well as qualify. And so one of the things, you know, the scarcity of quiet, this is a statistic, 97% of the U.S. population is exposed to noise from aviation and highways, and quiet is nearly extinct. Evidence shows that many children born today will not experience true quiet or pristine quiet from nature in their lifetimes. Just that should make us wake up and question what are we doing with our lives and how do we bring these areas in? Because I bet if when you said, oh, I'm actually wilderness quiet, I'm like, okay, well, what, what's the difference? You know, <laughs> and so I think it's interesting how you define, okay, there's a wilderness group, there's urban quiet, quiet trails, and then quiet communities is interesting. And as is my work for marketing for a community, we're in the midst of building with a community. So it's not very quiet right now. And the residents will tell you that, but um, <laughs> the majority of the homes and all of the new homes that are built are geothermal. And so that geothermal heating and cooling rids the home of that big old compressor that's on the typical every suburban house. And so once we're done with the construction, I mean, you'll still have people, but there is a sense of quiet in that part of the community where it's all geothermal. And again, that's an education for people. Talk a little bit about some of the health benefits that I know you guys promote for quiet. We evolved in quiet as a species. Only until very recently have we been subjected to noise on the scale that we have, like the combustion engine, the industrial revolution, all these things made noise and noise pollution really pervasive in our world, in the urbanized world. And I mean, in rural areas too, you can be out in the middle of a desert and hear a power plant from 20 miles away. So if you think about the impacts of what noise has as humans, noise is very directly linked to higher levels of stress hormone, therefore impacts cardiovascular health. There's been some really amazing studies on children and their ability to learn in noisy environments. Oh, wow. Um, Really impacts a child's ability to retain information, develop like interpersonal connections, things like that. And that's not even considering like neurodivergent children and how noise impacts them, which is especially acute. But our brains do a really good job of covering up sound. 
for our benefit. And if everyone like takes a moment at some point to just listen to the room that you're in without music, without anything like that, there's stuff happening. There's noise there. Of course, that's not always harmful to you, but noise is inescapable in our modern world. And when you find that you can escape it, that becomes a really a sacred moment. Again, I use that word sacred with a little bit of caution, but that's a really special experience. And people think that quiet is like everywhere. Just go to a state park and you can hear the sounds of nature. That's not true. And our brains are really good at telling us that like, oh yeah, we're just hearing the sounds of nature right now. But really it's extremely difficult to find places that are free from noise pollution for more than 15 minutes at a time. That's our bar for what a wilderness quiet park is, is that it experiences just 15 minutes of no noise pollution. We're not talking about days or weeks here. Even the farthest reaches of land are subject to noise pollution from aircraft and all sorts of other things. So yeah, we really think that the human health component's huge. What that does to different animal species as well is is just as impactful to study and like reading studies about owls and how even distant noise pollution can like have an owl's feeding ground who they use sound to feed things like that. It makes nature's communication much more complicated. Quiet is not only important for us, yeah, but also for all living things. We'll be right back after a quick break. Jennifer. Guess what's coming up and where we get to hang out. What's that, Monica? The Biophilic <laughs> Leadership Summit. It's back this March 24th through 26th. Oh my gosh, I cannot wait to see you in person again. It's been way too long. I know, me too. And we invite all our listeners to come to this year's summit. We're going to be exploring biophilic placemaking and how we use biophilic principles to promote health, happiness, and vitality in public spaces. Yes. And I was just reading over the schedule, which I'm very excited about. There are so many great speakers and panels. And when you get to join us, I'll be doing a nature walk and moderating a wonderful panel on activating community spaces with two incredible women, an architect and an urban planner. So this summit is put on by the Biophilic Institute and Biophilic Cities Project. So you can also come meet all of the leading experts in biophilia. And in addition to all incredible multiple presentations, we're going to have all sorts of great farm to table meals, plus cocktails, some book signings and lots of networking, which is always a favorite. And it's going to be at your and my favorite place, the Inn at Serenby. Yep, that's one of my favorite places, as you know. So join us in Sarah B for the 6th Annual Biophilic Leadership Summit from March 24th to March 26, 2024. And you can learn more about the summit and register today at biophilicsummit.com. That's biophilicsummit.com. We hope to see you there. We'll see you soon. Bye, Jen. Bye. I think you said sound too, but I get so excited because I hear some people talk about sound and some people talk about noise. It's the same thing, but they don't really realize that there is a real huge difference between sound and noise. Totally. And that's a distinction that I learned and also that changes with context. So in my definition, noise is undesirable sound. Sound is desirable. But if you're, depending on your context, noise and sound changes. So I think it's sometimes confusing to get like quiet and silence mean two different things. Noise and sound mean two different things. But depending on your place and what you're focusing on, those things 
are different. If you're in your home trying to read a book on a Sunday morning, the sound of your neighbor blasting TV is going to be noise. If you're watching a movie with your family, that's sound. So it's, <laughs> sure, it's always sure. different based on your context. Oh, I love that. I think that's so, so fascinating because we are all so deeply connected to it. And that's why me being here in my tent, I can hear usually just like nature sounds or or people walking by right now, but it's mostly just the ebb and flow of like the leaves outside or I can hear the ocean. But I'm very like, like you said, when you tune in, you really, really tune in and you get excited about it because it's just beauty in such a profound way, I think. And it really changes you when you experience that kind of the quiet or the stillness that nature offers, even if there is a plane flying over somewhere else. But For sure. And I think one of the things that's happened as a result of our exposure to noise pollution is that we've stopped using our ears in a really meaningful way. We're a really visually dominant society or, or much of the urbanized world is a very visually dominated sense. That's the sense we use to navigate. But if you think about how powerful your hearing is, it's a more powerful sense than your eyes. And there's a few like interesting things evolutionarily, like you can close your eyes, you can't close your ears. Um, mm, that's a great point. When you're asleep, <laughs> like how did you all wake up this morning? Like it, it is usually a sonic based alarm clock. Your ears are always processing information, even when you're asleep and when you're in different states. Even people who are like in a coma sometimes have been shown to respond to auditory stimulus. Your body is always interpreting what's happening through your ears. Also, your ears are 360 degrees all the time. So if you're in a room and someone is behind you and you can't see them, you can still pinpoint them in the room based on the reflections of the sound and the way that the sound wraps around your head, all these other things. And I have a really beautiful wooded backyard and there's a road on the other side of the woods. So I can't see the road, but I can hear cars on it. And if I ask myself more, it's like, what kind of car? Is it a truck? Is it a motorcycle? You can hear for miles and miles around you in the right conditions. And when you start really analyzing all that information, you realize that your ability to hear is vastly underutilized on a day-to-day -day basis. And it can tell you so much about the spaces that you navigate through. Oh, that's so interesting. Wow. So I have a story to sort of tell on myself. We lived in Atlanta in an older neighborhood, but it was a neighborhood that had been cut in half by a freeway. And so we lived about four blocks from the freeway and you could sort of hear that constant hum of the cars a little bit and more in winter when the trees were down, right? It just, you just heard it and you sort of forgot about it. And so when we moved to Serenby, which is 45 minutes south of the city, um, rural countryside, I'm standing in one of our little green spaces with the founder and my husband and I, and I'm hearing the sound. And I was like, oh, wow, I didn't realize we were close, so close to a highway. I'm hearing the sound. And he's like, Monica, that's the sound of the leaves and the wind blowing them in the trees. <laughs> that's but amazing. My, <laughs> it's, it's horrifying. It's a highway. But, but, I know, but my point of view... Of course. Was that. Of and course. so it was an opportunity to wake up, <laughs> I guess, to what real, as you were saying, what sound was like versus noise yeah. and what nature was like versus. So I just am fascinated by perspective. Totally. My father has the famous line that he says all the time, which is like, when I started doing this work, I ruined his back porch for him because he used to sit out there and listen and, and it was in, in the woods. And <laughs> now all he hears is like the neighbor's AC compressor or the distant <laughs> highway or something like that. 
But I like to say, it's like, I didn't ruin it for you. You're just now aware of information that you weren't aware of before. And I think we can all like part of grounding ourselves in this idea that we need to develop a connection with nature is gathering more information and being able to feel more comfortable in nature. Even like I am so lucky, I get to spend so much time really far out in nature. And it's still, that's not the environment that I'm used to. I have an office, I have a house, I sleep inside. The more we can be comfortable in nature, I think the easier it is to connect with that concept of nature. And I think a part of the work that you all are doing is like kind of getting people to realize that like the four walls that separate you from the outside don't really exist. You know, it's a fancy tent. <laughs> <And> <laughs> <laughs> the things that are happening outside yes. directly impact us. So to think that we can shield ourselves from climate change or ecological disaster or anything like that, because we have like houses with air conditioning and all this other stuff. It's kind of like a security blanket that doesn't really exist. We need to like do work to protect the places we exist in because yeah, the more aware that we are of how they're doing, the better we'll be able to connect with them and come up with ideas to try and save them. I think we're tired of talking about COVID, but at the same time, like it was probably one of the most impactful things that's happened in our lifetime. And one of the thing is the reduction in noise pollution, probably during that, at least that beginning three months or so in 2020. And I think people really, you know, relish the silence. And so can you talk a little bit about that? Like what you've heard in your work and on the flip side, how that's affected tourism to national parks? Yeah, COVID was to state something before, like this is not to be thankful at all for COVID because obviously it goes without saying this has been really horrible. We would all have been better without it. However, there's been some really interesting things that have happened as a result of COVID. The kind of global quieting that happened in those first few months was like picked up by seismologists. Incredible. The fact that we weren't flying airplanes and that resource extraction operations were temporarily shut down and things like this actually stopped the planet from vibrating <laughs> in certain places no. um, wow. as much as it was. Yeah, like they picked it wow. up. It was actually measurable. The level of noise that was absent. Um, oh my gosh. And I know for me, at the time I was living in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which I felt very lucky to live there through a pandemic, but you would go outside and there were no planes in the sky. People weren't driving around. There was no tourism happening. Those first few weeks, those first few months, everyone was kind of, it was horrifying. And there was this kind of moment of, at least for me, of like, wow, we're all just kind of being still right now. And again, for better and for worse, that was a really interesting kind of experiment. So one of the things I did early on, I think in maybe May or June of 2020, was I collected sounds from around the world from a bunch of my sound recording colleagues. And I had people who were able to like go to LAX airport and record the sound of LAX airport with no planes wow. or go to the city center in New Delhi and just hear birds. Opportunities that we didn't have for listening existed all of a sudden when we all kind of stopped moving so much. And on the flip side of that, I think a lot of us all of a sudden realized that like, wow, like it's really important that I like where I live and how I spend my time because we existed these very insular lives for those few months or even years now. So what has happened is people, I think, are much more intentional with their time. And I think that's good and how they connect to place and how they connect to people. All of a sudden, when we started seeing people, it was really like, OK, who am I going to see? Who do I need to see? <laughs> who do I not need to see? And as a result, a lot of people 
were spending a lot of time outside and not inside with people. So if that was backyard gatherings or meeting at an outdoor park or something like that, we started spending a lot more time outside. And then what we saw was any sort of like what I'll call ecotourism just skyrocketed. People felt safe in national parks and camping and things like that. And then we learned that that was a safer activity to do. So park visitation just like skyrocketed and has continued to for the most part. And that's good. People want to connect with nature. People are realizing that like that's something that they're missing. In the conservation world, it's a really hot button issue. And how do you allow access to places and encourage access to places without degrading the ecosystems? But overall, this trend of people needing to connect with quote nature is good. It shows us that like we humans need this. We've evolved in this. And the fact that it's been absent from our lives for a long time is something we need to remedy. Absolutely. Have you seen a spike in your interest for your work since COVID? Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of people in those first few months realized how noisy the world was when all of a sudden there wasn't that much noise or there was less noise. And Again, that's a blessing or the silver lining of this like really big dark storm cloud is that I think we all spent a lot of time with a lot of time to think and a lot of time yes. to be and be still, which is hard. We don't give ourselves that time. A lot of us never spend time sitting, breathing without anything to do. And I think the realizations that a lot of people came to in that time will inevitably shape like the next century of human life for sure. That's really interesting. I know you're not a futurist, but do you have any, I don't want to say predictions, but like, what would you like to see that would be some either trend changes or permanent changes, whether that relates to your work or not? I think a lot of my connection to my work and why I love my work is about like the concept of listening and listening, just like the word sound or noise or quiet, means a lot of different things. And I think it's worth acknowledging all the different ways that that word can take shape. But I think when I spend time listening to nature, actively like trying to identify or just taking in a place, that translates for me into my interpersonal relationships, my romantic relationships, my whole world, my work. I think being a better listener is something that I'm striving to do. And I think. I hope and I know that everyone at Quiet Parks International, we're hoping for this kind of culture shift where listening is a higher priority, not just necessarily like with your ears and what you're hearing, but truly listening to people, to places, to things. We spend a lot of time talking and a lot of time doing. Listening to me means being an observer, being open, being available. All of those things I think are really, really important to take with us into the future. No problems are going to be solved by who talks loudest. And <laughs> we have been trying that so for a long time and we are seeing how that's not working. And I think what you were saying earlier in the call here, Monica, is like getting people to reevaluate how they move through space is going to be really important for how we end up identifying problems and solving problems. So I hope that the future includes a world where we all listen to each other more and realize that we are all in the same boat and the boat is the planet. And we need to, to figure out some stuff to keep this boat floating. So that way our children and our children's children and children after that can have a healthy and happy life. And we're definitely at a crossroads. We all realize, I think we're at a crossroads here. And yeah, no, no work will get done by shouting. I firmly believe that. Speaking of children, you have a program, or I think Quiet Park says, working on a curriculum 
a model for kids. And I think it was being piloted in 2021. It has that sort of out of the ground. And tell us a little bit about that. It's teaching kids about listening, noise, noise pollution, and how to be a citizen scientist. But what does a program like that look like? Because I don't want to be totally like children are the future. I mean, they're great. And I do think that they, you know, we, I always bristle a little bit of like, oh, the young people will save us. I'm like, (laughs) we're in charge right now. Like we cannot just like land that. My kids hate that when they hear that. But nevertheless, I want to hear about the education program that you guys are working on because I'm fascinated by that and how you plan to, or if you plan to roll that out. Absolutely. Yeah. So we've been working on quiet education that program since our inception, because we too believe that if we want to create this culture shift and give people the tools to be better listeners and to connect with their environments more, we have to be able to teach children about it. That effort's being led by an incredible woman by the name of Emma Orfield Johnston, who is Minnesota slash New York based. It's a really interesting and complex topic to talk about and to think about. There are really simple things that kids get. Kids are born listeners. We teach them to not listen. So leaning into that and the fact that kids are born listeners, while also trying to teach kind of somewhat complex scientific things to them at the same time, it's a hard thing. There's a lot of work going on to figure out how to build curriculum. So we've started building curriculum. We have some pilot programs that we're hoping to launch in the next year, giving teachers the resources to bring this in as a topic. And that's really exciting, but still very much in progress. And that's also our board and our directors. It's very international. Our president lives in India. We have board members in Taiwan and Sweden and all over the place and a few in the United States. But taking the English language and then trying to translate words like quiet and spirituality or like any of these words, trying to translate that and make them more applicable in another language and in another culture is really difficult and fun. I've learned so much about the cultural meanings of quiet and listening through this experience because we all have different words that we use linguistically, but we also have different cultural understandings of quiet. People who live in Duluth, Minnesota understand quiet differently than people who live in New York City. The experience that someone who lives in Duluth has with quiet and this experience someone has in New York City might be very similar, but someone who lives in Duluth and goes to quiet in New York City will not feel what the person who lives in New York City and goes to quiet feels. So recognizing that on a global scale is really fascinating. And we have to rely on people who have that culture, who are embedded in those cultures to help us figure out, like, what does quiet mean to you? What does listening mean to you? And even if we speak the same language culturally, there's lots to uncover about what this means when you take this to other places around the world. That's really fascinating. Is there a certain part of the world that fascinates you the most around quiet or that you're seeing a huge growth spurt of interest? Or I'm just curious to see what you're seeing around the world that's interesting to you right now. It's really interesting to hear from everyone all over the world. The best part of my job is getting to connect with people and talk about this stuff who live literally on every continent. That has been so cool. What's been really interesting is to see a lot of interest and attention given in Asia. Like I said, we have a board member in Taiwan. Her name's Leila Fan, and she is a 
powerhouse of a figure in Taiwan in the media and in this conversation around quiet. And the Taiwanese government has been endorsing this idea of quiet. They have helped us and we have helped huh. them set up quiet trails and urban quiet parks. Wow. They understand the importance of this and the people of Taiwan understand the importance of this. But quiet means something different in Asia than it does, at least to me. And I think knowing that people there are so fascinated and feel the need for it so much, I think there's a lot of really interesting things to happen regarding quiet and quiet parks international in Asia. And then also politically right now talking about Taiwan and China and all these things. Sure. We had a really interesting conversation the other day, how quiet can sometimes people are quieted as a result of power, but quiet is also empowering and oh, thinking about, God, I hadn't thought about, yeah, yeah there's yeah. like, this really goes to so many crazy places. So you can follow this thread to so many things, but thinking about politically, what quiet means or economically, what quiet means in terms of justice, what quiet means, there's a lot to untie. And I think we are trying to help people untie it and think about it through this organization. So yeah, I'm really excited to see the kind of global implications, especially in places like Asia, South America as well. We've done a lot of work in South America, and it's really amazing just to see how different cultures respond and acknowledge this. And some people are like, you guys are just thinking about this now? Like, <laughs> you know, like in Sweden, they've, they're like, yeah, we have, we have this already. You know, we're acknowledging this. Yeah. yeah. It's really amazing. Jennifer does these incredible walks throughout the country, but really centered in Central Park in New York. And the work you did during COVID, it, just even the documentation you did, Jen, of New York City reminds me of what you're talking about during COVID. Just amazing how silent it was, right? But I was always fascinated. You told me a story of, and this may happen to you all the time, with New Yorkers, right? You take them on these walks, these corporations or board members or groups. And they have never stopped to touch a plant or to listen to the wind or to wake up their senses. And so I'm almost directing the question a little bit to you, Jen, and then I would love to have you riff on it. But like, Jen, is that pretty common with your clients that? Yes, 100%. Which is maybe, again, in the Minnesota client would be different than a New York client for you. Absolutely. Or people just forgot that they can be quiet. There's beauty. There's such profound beauty in the silence if you just are willing to step into it because everyone's so busy on their, you know, their devices on the phone, going through the park and humans are so loud. <laughs> We're such loud <laughs> creatures. So I think you'll both understand like it's so impactful when you can teach people something that they can take home and then take back to their families and their communities. Just the ideas that they can do this themselves and just relish in it. And then like you said before, you get to learn the language of the land around you. So I'm sure, Matt, you like you see this all the time. It's so fascinating when people just step into it and say, oh, wow, that feels good because now I'm hearing, oh, that what bird is that? I've never heard that bird before. Was Is that something, is that a new bird or is this? And you're like, no, it's a robin. You hear it all the time. You're just <laughs> listening for the first time. <laughs> it's so true. It's so yeah. true. I think it's one of the things I've been able to do is like bring a lot of people to quiet for the first time. Or sometimes people who know quiet, I take them to quiet. And I have done more corporate, like CEOs and things like that from companies will like go on a trip to try and find quiet. I'm the guy oh to take wow. them yeah. to quiet. Quiet, um, wow. And of course, that experience for them is like understandably mind shattering. It really yeah. is. And it's beautiful to watch. 
What's been more surprising is like I've had the opportunity to take environmental journalists and people who spend a lot of time in nature and conservationists to quiet and multiple times I've taken them to One Square Inch of Silence, which is in Olympic National Park. It's kind of the predecessor to Quiet Parks International, but it's the space that you can visit in Olympic National Park. And I've taken these people who spent so much time in wilderness there and just sat them down and with no expectations, nothing to do. And people multiple times have just started crying. It's like wow. they never have given themselves, even as people who spend a lot of time outside, the chance to just breathe. And that's been captured on podcasts before. Like I've taken these podcast producers out and they like come out of this space just so overwhelmed and emotional unexpectedly. And that's really telling me something too, is that even people who are ingrained in this work, ingrained in conservation and ecology and all these things also aren't getting time to sit and be. And I think that's such a powerful, powerful tool for that all of us can do. And you don't have to, I'm a firm believer, you shouldn't have to like go to a national park or a wilderness area or even a local park to be able to feel that. I think if we can all start and end our days with quiet or a quiet feeling, that is really important. And I say that in a way that allows for quiet to mean a lot of different things. My family is from Denmark and in Danish, they have a word called hygge. And hug is a word that has like taken the world by storm. It's not really a clearly definable word, but it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. It's like a warm feeling in your heart. And you can be sitting at a bar with a friend and drinking and it can be hygge, or you can be sitting around a campfire with someone you love and it can be hygge. <laughs> love it. Quiet is the same way. You can find quiet by sitting with your kids and asking them about their day. You can find quiet by meditating or by doing yoga or all these other things. But finding what quiet means to you I think is really, really important. And once you find what it means to you and you find how accessible it is, it becomes a, a crucial part of your life. And it should be, and it should be recognized as that. It is crucial. How are we going to tackle not only the stressors at work and with our families and all these other things, but how are we going to tackle these really big questions that we are asking right now in our world and politically how are we going to tackle any of those things if we don't have a baseline of quiet? And we often say that, like, you can take your biggest problems to quiet and the quiet answers. And it doesn't give you like, yeah. you know, this is what you should do necessarily. But again, I'm not really religious. I'm not even really that spiritual. But I find that quiet does something for me that is truly, truly remarkable for my mental and physical health. So I'd encourage people to figure out what does quiet mean to you? You don't have to be some weird long hair bearded tree hugger like I am because that's <laughs> what I look like. You know, it's important we can all find those things. I love that. You're so right because there is that specialness when you are in that state of just being present. And really, and you're not on your device and you're just like right now, I'm listening to the cicadas outside my canvas. So it's just like, I find it beautiful, right? I'm tuning into the natural sounds around me and I find there's such profound beauty where it almost opens up that awe, that awe in our brain of just, ah, I love it. The silence, the quiet, whatever it might be. But you find that awe moment is just kind of that releasing, I guess. So as, as being a human, we release and we start to cry because there is such beauty in that. Absolutely. I am surrounded by a lot of like early childhood outdoor educators in my world. Like a lot of my friends and partners have been outdoor educators. 
And I think that just like we've been trained to not listen from a young age, we also are trained to like lose our childlike fascination with nature. And to be able to like look at this tree outside my window right now and go, holy crap, that is incredible, is something that we don't do enough of. Yeah, to say that anything is, it's just a tree, it's just a blade of grass, it's just a cicada, it doesn't do it justice. Mm -mm. It really mm -mm. is. There is like miracles to be found all around us all the time. And as soon as we start training ourselves out of that, it's hard to get back to that. Yeah, that's really, really true. So... Tell us, like, as we're wrapping up here, if you want to become a quiet park or a quiet trail or even a quiet community, how do you do that? Is there a certification? Do you come out and do sound levels? Like, what's the process? Yes. Depending on what program we're going for, the process looks a bit differently. For Wilderness Quiet Parks, it's a lot of either I identify a piece of land or something that looks promising using satellite imagery and noise pollution data and light pollution data and then getting there and doing sound level readings and recording and all this other stuff. It's a very unique process for every single location, but we do have what I'll call as kind of our standards. They're kind of more criteria Okay. that places have to meet. So I have a set of criteria that a wilderness quiet park has to meet, which includes a dependable noise-free interval of 15 minutes or more and no sudden loud sounds like fighter jets and has to be recorded away from rivers and waterfalls and things like this to get like a big acoustic horizon between the hours of 4 a.m. and 8 a.m. Wow. Okay. All this stuff. Same thing for urban quiet parks. There has to be predominantly the sounds of nature. There has to be a certain sound pressure level. It has to be publicly accessible. It has to be within public transit, things like this. Quiet communities, same way. It's like, what are your HOAs? Like, what are the community guidelines that are set up in place to protect quiet? What does your development plan look like? Each of these program areas has an absolutely mind-blowing specialist behind it. Um, <laughs> wow. Not tooting my own horn, but like each of these program areas <laughs> has who I think are like the leaders in this world or some of the leaders in this world of how to think about preserving soundscapes and listening and quiet. So we just have like the most incredible team of people, all volunteer, by the way, like Quiet Parks International is completely volunteer. Our board, wow. all volunteer, president, wow. volunteer. So we care about this so much and really believe that this is an incredibly useful tool for us. And it's a necessary tool for us to move forward on this planet as we've been going. Do you have a champion like you do in Taiwan and the government here in the U.S.? <sighs> the United right? States I mean, is an I'm interesting. Like, I, yeah, it is an interesting place. Right? It is. So Quiet Parks International was officially founded in 2019. Obviously, we've been doing this work for a long time, but Quiet Parks International as a brand has been relatively new in the past few years. My work, working with federal land management agencies and tribal land management and all these other things, looked a lot different through the Trump administration than it does now. Sure. For pretty obvious reasons. It was really interesting to see how an administration change has affected my communication with the federal government, even as just like an independent nonprofit. However, we all know whether you've like tried to get a new driver's license or you're like applying for a new passport or something, working with state or federal government is a bureaucratic mess. Slog. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I always want to work with a national park or a land management agency if I can. But sometimes it's like, 
it's not going to work. And I still think that this place needs to be recognized and awarded anyway. But I always try and work with parks first. But they are understaffed. They are like stretched way thin. They're dealing with record high attendance and all sorts of other things as well. So, no, we don't have like there's lots of people in our government who are fighting for conservation and increased budgets to national parks and all these other things. So that's not to say people aren't doing hard work. But yeah, it looks different here than it does in Europe, for sure, and in Asia. And that also, I mean, it looks totally different everywhere. Every state you go to, even every county that you go to. Sure. Yeah. So it's really interesting to see how this is playing out. Well, then I'm going to just say, like, encourage our listeners, like, to become a champion and go fight for this in your whatever, town, street, HOA. Totally. If you have influence in a land management, urban land institute, conservation center, yeah. it's a really interesting thing that, I mean, Jennifer and I obviously are always digging out there for new ideas and interesting people who are doing work in nature, but, but this has really shifted my whole perspective in a different way. So, yeah. And um, what I'd say is like anyone who's interested in this idea or might have something to add or wants some help in understanding, or they might have a project or a community or a park or something, just reach out. We want to be a resource for people to help bring right. you into this world because we're all volunteer. It's all nonprofit. We need people to help. So Matt at quietparks.org, you get me. Yeah, <laughs> um, okay, wonderful. <laughs> whatever you have going on, just- The power yeah, of our listeners. Yeah, really. It's like, I want to be a resource for people into this world. And so much of the beautiful places we've been able to help protect are as a result of random people shooting me an email and saying, hey, like this state park in Iowa is really special. I would have never known. So it's all about trying to get people who care about this involved more or even people who just want to talk about it more and talk about yeah. quiet. And I talk with everyone from, yeah, like community development folks to doctors to people doing resource extraction and timber harvesting. Like this, again, goes in this is part of all of our lives. So wherever you stand, if you're interested in learning more or trying to help, just come on board. <laughs> you are welcome. Great. Is there a website to website or social channels that we can also link to and support and uh, share? Yes. Quietparks.org is our website. We have an Instagram as well and a Facebook. And then personally, I have at Matthew Mickelson. You see me out and about working with weird microphones and sitting on my computer and analyzing <laughs> stuff if that's of interest to you, which maybe it's not. But yeah, so you can be in touch that way. We have a lot of great resources on our site and a, a map of quiet places oh, and potential okay, quiet we'll places. We'll definitely link to that. So you can like open up our site and one of the first things you're going to see is a map. And not all those places are awarded yet, but those are sites that we have our sites on. And we need local people in all these places too. One of the things that's happened in conservation is that groups have come in and said, oh, this is worth protecting. We need to protect it without consulting local communities. We see this, how it's impacted indigenous communities all over the world, things like this. So we need people on the ground in those places to help us do what you think is right for your community. And our goal is to empower people to do that. So there's my spiel. Well, it's fantastic. Yeah. I love your values. Listen, learn and love. I just think that's so keynote to everything that's what your work is in, in the conservation and, and protecting protect the planet or protecting ourselves and our health and our well-being so thank you for coming on today and being with us and sharing all of your wisdom we just love it love it yeah thank you matt absolutely thank you so much for having me i really do appreciate it our pleasure jennifer there's so many little nuggets of wisdom in that conversation i just 
absolutely loved. I want to hit on a few points he made. One, you can't close your ears. We live in fancy tents <laughs> and quiet means something different for different people. I mean, first of all, Matt is absolutely funny and charming as a person, but his way of phrasing these ideas really drives it home for me. Was there any idea or nugget of wisdom that resonated with you? Yes, absolutely. There's so many, and I couldn't agree more with what you just said. But I guess for me, this idea of living in fancy tents is sort of a fun one because I quite literally live in a slightly fancy tent for a few months out of every year. But this notion that just because the shelters we create for ourselves are different from other species, we're not actually that separate from the natural world. And in the case of extreme weather and climate change, those four walls aren't doing much to separate us from what is out there. So how can we think about nature and the outside world as something that we are actually a part of? Yeah, I love thinking about our homes as fancy tents. And I also love the line, again, you can't close your ears. So we close our eyes every night when we go to bed. But if the dog starts barking or your alarm goes off, we hear that before our other senses kind of wake up. We're always listening. So what does it mean if we can never experience true quiet and respite? That's part of why the work that Matt is doing with Quiet Parks International is so vitally important, not to mention the way that preserving quiet also aids the well-being of other species. Yeah, that was so fascinating to me. We talked about this with Lee and Justin, but I also really enjoyed hearing Matt's take on the feeling of quiet, especially the way he compared it to Hugo, which is the Danish concept of coziness or a warm feeling in your heart. And I couldn't love that more. Definitely. It's like this breath of fresh air when you have that sensation of just being and disconnecting from the everyday, and in our case, at least, hoping to deepen our connection with nature. So we've got lots of resources in the show notes, and if this episode resonates with you at all, I highly encourage you to reach out to Matt or see how you can get involved in the Quiet Parks International. They're doing some really exciting things, and we barely even scratched the surface on this conversation. All right, Jen, it was a great conversation and I'll talk to you in a couple weeks. It certainly was. See you later, Monica. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. And if you're enjoying the podcast, we would love for you to follow us on your favorite podcast app. Give us a five-star rating and please leave us a review. It really goes such a long way towards helping us reach a wider audience and sharing these amazing interviews and solutions with the world. Absolutely. So thanks so much for following and reviewing the podcast. And we'll be back with another amazing interview in two weeks. You're now a part of the Biophilic Movement.